all kinds of good things, and then you put together a music service like this, and then stick me right between it and lunch. (laughs) Put me in an untenable position. So, you know, we'll settle that up later with whoever designed all this today. Now, it laying jokes aside, hasn't it just been great to be in God's house with God's people this morning? It's a thrill for me to have my family with me today, my sweet wife, Amy, and our oldest son, Alistair. We don't get to do this a whole lot. You know, Alistair's sort of moving on to bigger and better things and big senior in college and is uh, doing internship at First Baptist Church in Barberville, but uh, they let him stay with us this weekend and be here tonight So, or this morning, and it's good to have them with us today. Be turning with me in the copy of God's Word that you have to the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah. Let me help you out a little bit because I know that you don't often turn to Zechariah. If you can find the book of Matthew in the New Testament, then go back to into the Old Testament. Matthew's first book, the New Testament, and then, of course, Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Next to it, as you make your way toward Genesis, is the book of Zechariah. While you're turning there, let me say that Zechariah is a minor prophet. You understand when we study the Old Testament, we differentiate between the major prophets and the minor prophets. A lot of people have had difficulty understanding why we do that. Let me make it really, really simple. The minor prophets are the short-winded preachers in the Old Testament. That's why we call them the minor prophets. Uh, Honestly, the major prophets, those like Daniel and Isaiah, are major prophets not because their message is are major compared to the minor prophets, but just because they wrote longer books of the Old Testament, whereas the minor prophets were able to place their words very succinctly. And so Zechariah, minor prophet, here's something else you need to know about him. He is a post-exilic prophet, which simply means he prophesies to the people of God after the Babylonian exile. And so the people of God from Judah had been in Babylonian captivity. They came back. They were released. They're reestablishing themselves in Jerusalem in the promised land. And Zechariah is one of those spiritual leaders that brings God's word to them during these very strategic days in the life of ancient Israel. And one of the great things about Zechariah is that sprinkled throughout his prophecy are words about a soon-coming Messiah. Now let me date it for you. Zechariah is prophesying at about 500 years before the birth of Christ. And so God is using this minor prophet to prepare his people for the coming Messiah who we know to be the Lord Jesus. And so about 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah is giving us the second most uh, largest set 
of Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Isaiah would give us the most, but Zechariah would be second only to Isaiah. Here's something else, and you can remember this one. Jesus did not come unannounced. 365 times. You can remember that because there's 365 what? Days for the year, 365 times one Old Testament scholar counted were the times that you can find a messianic prophecy between the books of Genesis and Malachi. And so over and over again, these prophets were saying, a king is on his way. Well, Zechariah not only prophesies about the first coming of the Lord Jesus, but Zechariah prophesies about his second coming. Let me say something else about those 365 prophecies of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. Each and every one of those that he did not fulfill the first time he came, he will fulfill when he comes again. And so the title of my message this morning is simply this, church, The King is Coming. Zechariah 14, beginning in verse 4, follow along as I read down through verse 9. Zechariah 14, beginning in verse 4, we'll read down through verse 9. The word of the Lord says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east, And toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord. My God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and winter it shall be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Father, we love you. We thank you for the plan of the ages that, have, that has unfolded, Lord, uh, in bringing us the grace that you've given us through Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, for the continuation of that plan as it's unfolding around us right now. Lord, we look forward to the moment, the day, when Jesus Christ comes again. And Father, as those early Christians would hope and pray, we too, 2,000 years later, 
find our great hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that that day would hasten, and we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, it's a good thing that my oldest son is here this morning because he gets to hear me pick on him just a little bit. My family well knows to watch everything they do and say because it's quite likely it'll show up in a sermon sometime. But this is from the time when Alistair was a very small boy. One of the favorite things he loved to do with me was play hide-and-go-seek. And so it was kind of funny the way it played out because he always wanted me to hide first. And so I'd go somewhere and hide, and Alistair would be over in the corner of the room with his little head down in his hands, and he would count down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ready or not, Daddy, here I come. And so I would stay in my hidden position and I would listen as he searched around the house or outside, wherever we were playing. And right before he would find me, I would always jump up and scare him. And he loved it. I mean, he would be scared at first and then he would just break out into hysterical laughter. And so he loved it. But after we did it, he would say, okay, daddy, now it's my time to hide. And he would say, now, now you go over there and you count down 10 to 1. Okay, daddy. Yes, sir. I'll do it, son. You count down 10 to 1 and you come find me. So I would move out of the way and hide my eyes and my hands and count down just like he would. And then I would say, Alistair, ready or not, here I come. Well, he wasn't very patient because I would start searching for just a moment, and then all of a sudden, wherever he was out, he would jump up and say, Here I am, Daddy, come find me. (laughs) And my friend, that ought to be the heartbeat of every child of God. We ought to be saying, in this world in which we live, in the day in which we live, we ought to be saying in harmony together, Lord, here I am. I'm ready, come find me. Well, my friend, that day is coming. Jesus Christ is returning to earth again. And here, Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus was ever born, he tells us just exactly the way the king would come. Let me point out to you, first of all, that Jesus is coming back physically. He's coming back in his body. Notice what he writes in verse 4 of the text. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. I'm so glad that Zechariah includes that in his prophecy of the coming again of Jesus Christ because notice how he uses physical language. He talks about, number one, the Mount of Olives, where it is, over to the east. One of my favorite places on earth is the Mount of Olives because so many things come together there. And any time that I ever have a group with me in Israel, we make sure 
we spend plenty of moments on the Mount of Olives as we're looking over to the west into the old city of Jerusalem. You just really have to be there to understand how important this is. Now, I know you can get on the internet and use a Bible atlas and you can see pictures of the Mount of Olives, but I cannot emphasize to you this morning just how prominent it is in that area. If you were right now in Old City, Jerusalem, up on the Temple Mount, and you were looking straight ahead, what you would see after you looked across the Kidron Valley would be that prominent Mount of Olives. And notice what Zechariah says. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives in the flesh. You see, a spirit doesn't place his feet on the Mount of Olives. A ghost can't place his feet on the Mount of Olives, but Zechariah says that day is coming when on the Mount of Olives before Jerusalem on the east, his feet shall stand. Now here's what I want you to know. Jesus Christ is coming back to the same mount from which he left the earth. If you remember how the gospel writers put it, Luke, in in his gospel, chapter 24, verses 50 through 52, says that Jesus, on the day of his ascension, led the disciples out as far as Bethany. Now, where is Bethany? Bethany is out on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. In other words, you can't be at Bethany without being on the Mount of Olives, because that's exactly where it is. And so he led them out as far as Bethany. And Luke writes, it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now Luke, who also writes the book of Acts, In Acts chapter 1, listen to what he says in verses 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward the heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This, listen to this, this same Jesus, the very same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, put all of that together. Zechariah says the king is coming. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Luke writes and he says he led them out to the Mount of Olives, out to Bethany when he was about to depart. And there you see Jesus Christ begin to ascend from the earth 40 days after his resurrection, back to the right hand of the Father. And you can just picture in your mind's eye how the disciples were that day. I can see them wide-eyed, right? And probably their mouths were wide open as they watched Jesus Christ go up, up, up until he absolutely disappeared in the clouds. And there they stand, there they are, all stricken with amazement. And the Bible tells us that these angels come and say to those men, 
Why do you just stand here watching? Because the same Jesus that you see go up, this same Jesus in the very same way is coming back again. In other words, he died in a body, he resurrected in a body, he presented himself for 40 days in a body, you're seeing him go up in a body, he's coming back down in that same body. That same Jesus. He's going up in the clouds, and the Bible says he's coming again in the clouds. Let me tell you a good practice every now and then. When you stand outside on a beautiful day like today, I think it's very fitting, child of God, for you to look to the east and look to the clouds in the east because one day, I believe very soon, those eastern clouds are going to bear the resurrected, glorified body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when He comes again. Face to face, in all His glory, we shall see Him by and by. Jesus is coming again physically. Second thing I want you to notice about the text is that He's coming with His redeemed people. When Jesus Christ comes again, He's not coming alone, but He's coming back with His redeemed people. Notice what Zechariah writes at the latter part of verse 5. He says, And the Lord my God, Jesus that is, shall come, and all the saints with thee. Now let me ask you a question. Who are the saints? Don't say the angels. The angels aren't the saints. You're a saint. If you've been born again through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you today, you're a saint. You didn't expect to get called a saint this morning, did you? You expected the old Baptist preacher to point his finger and call you a sinner. Well, you're that too. But let me tell you, if you're born again today, you are are a saint. You might be here thinking, a saint I ain't. But you really are. You're a saint. Now when I tell you that, I'm reminded, you probably heard it, it's an old preacher joke, the story of uh, this man who passed away, who was a notorious scoundrel in the community. And his brother was a very wealthy man, and he came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I want you to preach my brother's funeral but you have to promise me to get the $1,000 I'm going to pay you to preach his funeral that somewhere in the context of that funeral, you're going to call him a saint. And the pastor said, well, I don't know if I could do that, but let me think about it. He went home and thought about two hours and called the man back and said, you're on, I'll call your brother a saint in his funeral service. Well, about two or three days later, when they were having the funeral, pastor came up to the podium And he began to tell it just like it was. He said, this man, you all know, was a scoundrel. He drank like a fish, cheated on his wife, dishonest in business. He was an absolute scoundrel. But compared to his brother right over there, he was a saint. (laughs) Laying all jokes aside, listen to me carefully. The Bible says that now... Through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the saints in light. 
You're not in darkness anymore. But now through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. And so the Lord is coming again, Scripture says, and all the saints with Him. I'll go back and say something similar to what I said a moment ago. I I love to be with our groups on the Mount of Olives, and usually if I'm doing a Bible lesson with them there, I will ask them because it comes at the conclusion of our trips. And so there we are in Jerusalem, and I'll ask them, have you had a good trip? And everybody always says yes. And then I ask them, would you like to come right here again one day? And nearly all of them say yes. And here's what I say, I have good news for you because the Bible says you are. Because Jesus is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord my God, Zechariah says, and all the saints with Him. Now maybe you're asking this question. If Jesus Christ is coming again, how are all the saints coming with Him? Well, the truth is, saints go to be with the Lord either through death or through the rapture. Now, some of you probably would rather not talk about death. I would rather not talk about death, particularly in this season of my life. But the fact of the matter is that one out of one people, if the second coming is another hundred years into the future, one out of one people will die. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. And so my friends, one day, sooner or later, if the second coming is way off in the distance, every one of us will face our mortal enemy, death. I don't like talking about it. I can hear the hush in the room right now. You don't like hearing about it, but it's just true, and we need to come to terms with it. I'm not afraid of the other side of death. And frankly, I'm not afraid of the moment leading up to death. But when you begin to think about all the ways that could happen, let's just admit together, let's not one of us pretend to be super spiritual enough to say that doesn't concern me at all. Because if it doesn't concern you at all, I want about two hours of your time this afternoon and you can do a little discipleship with me. In fact, there's a person in my life that I don't like to see very often because he reminds me of the fact that one day I'm going to die. Years ago, when I was a very young pastor, my first pastorate was out in East Pulaski County at the Bethany Baptist Church, and there was a funeral director that came to town in Somerset by the name of Don Johnson. But it wasn't the first time I met Don Johnson, because when I was a teenage boy, and my dad was the pastor at the McKee Baptist Church over in Jackson County, over there to the Lakes Funeral Home, Don Johnson came to work. And we were teenage kids, and uh, I and some other people that knew John, we, or Don, we would laugh about it a little bit because he was the antithesis to the Don Johnson that we saw on TV every Friday night. You had to grow up in the 70s and 80s to know what I'm talking about. 
rest of you can go home and Google it. And so that's the first time I met Don Johnson. Fast forward, I started pastoring after Bible college at Bethany Baptist Church, and Don came to Somerset, the uh, funeral home there, Pulaski Funeral Home, to work. Few year, few years after that, when I went over to the mountains of East Kentucky and pastored the First Baptist Church in Hazard, Amy and I were there for about a year, and guess who came to work at the Engel Funeral Home? Don Johnson. Now, y'all are laughing at me, but how would you like for a funeral director to follow you around everywhere you go? Fact of the matter is, if he comes back to Pulaski County, I'm out of there. Because he reminds me of this dismal truth. And it's the same truth that every one of us have to come to terms with and deal with. In all seriousness, back in April, when we had our son's funeral, our pastor Ed Amundsen made a very profound statement. And this is what he said. He said, Andrew's death proves that the moment you're born, you're old enough to die. But here's the good news. The Lord has taken death's sting away. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, and we're confident, and I say willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross... In Luke 23, verse 30, uh, 43, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Aren't you thankful this morning that as a child of God, there is no soul sleep, there is no waiting room, it's simply absent from the body and presence with the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. So saints, we go to be with the Lord if it's not through death, then my friend, we'll go to be with Jesus through what I call the rapture of the church. I love the words of Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He writes and he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by a word from the Lord, that we which are alive, listen to this, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not prevent those which are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain until this coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And wow, aren't those comforting words. Whether by death or through the rapture, beloved, we all have the same truth that will be worked out in our lives. We are going to be with King Jesus. And so Zechariah says, 
The Lord my God shall come. Jesus is coming. The King is coming. And he'll bring all the saints with him. So the Lord is coming physically in a body. The Lord is coming with his saints. And the last thing I want you to notice with me according to Zechariah is why? Why is the Lord coming? The Lord is coming to bring peace. That's what's going to happen after the Lord comes and He defeats all of His enemies with just a word that extends from His mouth. The Bible says that on that day, it's going to be a beautiful day. Verse 6, It shall come to pass that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out of Jerusalem, half to the former sea and half to the hinder sea in summer and winter it shall be. Now, you have to understand a few simple things to get to what Zechariah is describing there. First, know this, that in the day when Zechariah writes, it was difficult to maintain light. Now, it's not for us, so we don't really understand this. We walk into a dark room, flip on the switch, and all of a sudden we're in light. It's much more difficult. Of course, they had to maintain a fire and... Uh, put out lamps, and it was very difficult to maintain light. And with the darkness came a lot of problems. But Zechariah writes, you're never going to have to work for light again. And the problems associated with darkness, they'll be all gone because the Lord will bring with him The light, it'll be light of the daytime, it'll be light in the evening time. You won't have to search for water again. Jerusalem's the only major city from antiquity that wasn't built on a river. And so finding water was always a problem. And he says, not in that day, because when the Lord comes, there's going to be living water, fresh water, flowing out of Jerusalem. And then I love verse 9, the Lord on that day will be king over all the earth, and in that day there shall be one Lord and His name one. Listen to me. Jesus Christ, when He comes again, He won't be riding on the back of a democratic donkey nor a republican elephant. But He's coming back riding the white horse from heaven, and he's not coming back to choose size. He's coming back to take over. And when Jesus Christ takes over, and he rules and he reigns for once on this earth, for the first time since the curse, since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, there will be peace.
He'll be king. And his name will be one. Now, what does Zechariah mean by that? You see, on that day, people won't be talking about president so-and-so or prime minister so-and-so or king so-and-so. There will be one king and his name is Jesus. So with shouting and singing and jubilant ringing, their arms of rebellion cast down. At last every nation, the Lord of salvation, their king and redeemer shall crown. The kingdom is coming. Oh, tell you the story. God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of His knowledge and glory as the waters that cover the sea. Saints, put a smile on your face. Let there be a twinkle in your eye because King Jesus is coming again. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? In just a moment, we're going to sing together a hymn of invitation. And as we sing, if you're here today and you do not know this King as your Lord and your personal Savior, I want to invite you to come. Jesus stands here today. He's ready to save you today. He's made the way available for you today. The Bible says if you'll just believe in Him in your heart, and that God has raised him from the dead, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will save you today. The greatest promise in Scripture, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, if you need to come, if you need to be saved, come. Come today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Do it now while you have breath. You don't know. You might not make it home this afternoon. You may not live to see tomorrow. Today, the Bible says, is the appointed time. That means that the day you hear the gospel and the day you feel the calling of God's Holy Spirit leading you to salvation, that's the day you should come. If today's that day for you, I invite you to come. Maybe you're here this morning and you're brokenhearted and you're downhearted. Jesus wants you to be reminded today that there is a fairer day coming. It's on its way, believer. It's coming. And perhaps you just need to come and bring your burdens to an altar of prayer and leave them there, knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again, and with His coming, He is bringing perfect peace to this sin-stricken, war-torn world. And maybe today you just need to come, bow before Him, and allow the Prince of Peace to throw His arms around you. Do you need to come today? I'm going to pray, and then as we sing, if you need to step out and come, I invite you to do so right now. Lord, thank You for the truth of which we've been reminded in your word. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is coming again. Father, it's a truth in your word. 
just as everything else, Lord, you have said is true. This is a truth upon which we can depend. So God, I pray today that the truth of His coming would encourage those who don't know Him to come to Him today. I pray, Father, the truth of His coming would encourage the burdened heart of those who do know Him. And Father, may we leave here this morning looking forward to being found in You by our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name and amen.